Thank you, Andy. Um, it is such a privilege and an honor to be here with you guys. Um, I have never actually been in the building before, um, but I have sat outside um, under the awning uh, on my motorcycle in a terrible rainstorm. And I just want you to know that I'm very thankful that your church is a very kind and loving church because I rang the doorbell and I said, hey, you don't have to be afraid of me. I know I don't look like anything, but uh, I just need a place to get out of the rain. And they didn't call the police on me. Um, and, and you think that's funny, but I have had the police called on me by a church. Uh, and it's sad that this minister didn't even bother to come over and see who I was. I'd talked to the youth minister. We'd had a great conversation about the kingdom. And he was even going to invite me to lunch and invite me to stay at his house. But the minister called the police and had them run the plates on the bike and then had them come back because they didn't talk to me. And he chucked my license and he looks at it and he goes, dude, there's nothing. This guy's good. I don't think you have anything to worry about. So thank you uh, for being a church that loves weird looking dudes on bikes, okay? Um, also, I wanna thank you because Andrew Hale came up to me last night. We've been on our summer staff retreat. Andrew Hale came up to me. He's our program director at the camp. And he said to me, he said, you know what? That is an amazing church. He said, I can tell you it's an amazing church because even though I don't know any of them, I have gotten birthday cards from them. I have gotten cards with candy in them from the people there encouraging us as a staff. And I mean, they are just some great people. And I know how great your people are uh, because a couple of weeks ago, I was at a funeral and a funeral was for Steve Mayhew. And I didn't even know Adam, um, but uh, I'd had some conversations with Andy via email and so forth. And um, I happened to be standing in the back of the, of the room where they were having the funeral. I noticed there was a Bible there and I'm like, oh, I might get to meet Andy. Cause I thought Adam was already on sabbatical. I look, I, I look up and all of a sudden there's this guy coming to me and I go, Adam? And he goes, yes. I go, I'm Danny. I'll be preaching to your church in two weeks. And so it was just this really cool moment to be with him and to watch him pastor that room and to love people so well. You guys are so blessed. I've met some of your elders this morning. I mean, I mean I'm thankful. And grateful to be here. What a great place. Been uh, aware of Mephibosheth for years as I've worked at the camp and the work, the ministry that these guys have done and that they do when they come there and give us opportunities to see Jesus work in ways that, um, you know, are great and mighty ways that we don't know anything about. I mean, it's just amazing to watch God do immeasurably more than all we could ever dare to ask, guess, or request, or imagine. And what a church you are because you believe in sabbatical. I'm telling you something. At the camp, we're supposed to have an hour a day, a day a month, a week a year, and three months every seven years. Because we need to rest in God. Sabbath is huge because it reminds us that God is God and we are not. And so Adam is going to have such an amazing time as he's away for these few weeks. But can I tell you something? Sabbath is also for you. And it will be fantastic for you as a congregation. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do here because I love what God is already doing here, all right? If you wanna open with, your, with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we'll get there in, in a few minutes, I believe. I hope, you probably hope too. <laughs> so we'll be in John 17. Um, but before we get there, um, I want you to know uh, some things that are very important, okay? And, and first of all, this guy named Harry Nielsen wrote a song many, many years ago called One, and that really is the name of the song. It's One, 
But he wrote it in 68, he sang it, it didn't go big, there was no billboard charts or anything for him. Um, and it actually happened because he made a phone call and when he made this phone call, the other person on the other end of the line didn't answer, okay? And when they didn't answer, he heard uh, the busy tone. Now, some of you in this room, if you're probably under you know, 15 years old, you've never heard a busy tone. You don't even know what that is. Call waiting and all that stuff that we have free on our phone, and all that, whatever they even call it now. And um, he heard a busy signal and then the song starts and actually ding, ding, ding. And it's got this signal that's supposed to remind us of a busy signal. He was so looking forward to talking to this person, did not get a hold of them. Now you might know the song under a different name because uh, when it was played by Three Dog Night in 1969, it made it to number five on the billboard charts, all right? And it's one is the loneliest number. One is the loneliest number. And two is almost as bad as one because it's the loneliest number since number one. And we have a, <laughs> Ed, right? Ed came up to me earlier. He goes, thank you. I cannot stop singing that song now. I said, well, you know, I, I, it happened to me. I, I was laying in the room and I'm trying to think. I had given them a title for one really means one. And I'm laying there and I went, one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Because you know what? It's sad to be one when you want to be with other people. It's sad to be one. Or even two, you can still be sad sometimes, as you, as you know, because it's the loneliest number since number one. But one is really not the loneliest number you'll ever do if you understand what we're about to talk about in the scriptures. Because if we understand what Jesus is saying in John 17, then I want you to know one is not the onlyest number, it, it, loneliest number, it is the onlyest number, okay? It's not the lonely number, it's the only number. And it's the number that matters because it is the number that will be that which helps us to make a difference in the lives of people all around this world. Would you pray with me? Father, please just lead us and guide us in these moments as we come to your word. Please speak, for we, your servants, are listening. So we're gonna talk a little bit about unity, and I just wanna tell you, I had an experience with unity that blew my mind, okay? Because when I was at uh, Central Christian Church many years ago, uh, we had a Korean Presbyterian church, Unhe Korean Presbyterian Church, was meeting in our building. And they had a pretty large English ministry, and the English ministry was their youth ministry. And they needed somebody to speak in this English ministry. And so they talked to the senior minister, they talked to the people on staff. They said, uh, we got this guy, Danny. And, uh, you know, you might want him to come and speak to them. Uh, you should probably talk to him. So they came to me and they said, would you be interested in speaking the English ministry? I said, yeah. And I spoke and they were like, hey, would you keep coming to the English ministry? I said, I would love to. And I spent about a year with these guys. It was amazing. I'm telling you, to be able to experience the kingdom of God through the eyes of Koreans just really opened up a lot of doors for me. We would go into a room and pray, for example. And when we would start praying, everybody prayed at once. And all of the noises just go in the room. And I'm like, well, when do you stop? Well, when the guy who's the loudest starts going down, that's when we're gonna stop. And it was just like these moments, I was like, wow. But you know what was cool? When we pray, one person prays and everybody else listens. But how cool is it to realize that God can hear all of those voices at once? So I'm learning all kinds of things in this Korean ministry. And, um, and remember, I said it was Unhe Korean Presbyterian Church. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm not Presbyterian. Okay, you, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm nowhere near Presbyterian. I'm nowhere near Reformed, okay? Uh, but I know a lot about Reformed because I went to Bible college and Andy went to Bible college. We know these things about Reformed. Some of you might have been Reformed. 
Some of you might be reformed. I don't. So anyway, and so um, I was supposed to start teaching catechism on this particular Sunday. It was my responsibility to teach catechism. And so I had really struggled with the catechism because uh, I was using the Westminster Shorter Catechism and I was looking through it and I'm like, well, I don't have any problems with most of this. But then I got to these things that I went, I can't teach that as being the way things should be because I don't believe that. I believe differently than that. And so I've got a problem with that. And so I contacted our pastor, who's been a longtime friend of mine, spiritual director of mine. He's been, was my youth minister back in high school. I said, Richard, I cannot say that to these students. I just can't. He goes, well, then you're going to have to tell Pastor Yang. I go, I know. But Pastor Yang's probably going to kick me out. He's probably going to say he doesn't want me around. He's going to say, you know, and, and there's a good thing going here because we're sharing our building with the Korean Presbyterian Church. We're being able to see what God is doing in so many different ways. I don't want to end that. So I tried to get a hold of Pastor Yang, couldn't get a hold of him. And so uh, on seven o'clock on that particular Saturday morning when I was supposed to teach catechism, Pastor Yang met me at his office. I was so nervous. I was early and I was pacing, waiting for him to get there. I walk into his office, I sit down and I just said to him, uh, Pastor Yang, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to look at the Westminster Shorter. I appreciate you know, a lot of these things. It's really pretty fascinating theology and all these kinds of things. And remember, Pastor Yang has a doctorate. I don't. Um, and so I'm just looking at him and I go, but Pastor Yang, there's a couple of these things that I just can't teach. I don't mind to tell them that that's what your church believes, but I can't tell them that's what I believe. And if you need somebody else to teach this catechism, I mean, we'll call George or we'll do whatever we need to do. We'll have somebody come in and teach the catechism. Pastor Yang looked at me after a little bit of silence and he said, then don't teach them. Feel free to teach all of the other things and we'll be okay. I was like, are you serious? You, <laughs> you're okay with me saying that I don't believe some of these things and that I can teach it? He goes, yes. You see, because I want to tell you something about unity. A lot of times when we think about unity, we think that unity means we think alike. It means that we are organizationally the same. That is not what unity is. And that is not what Jesus is talking about in John 17. What Jesus is talking about is a unity that is organic. He is talking about a unity that is, <laughs> that is, is ontological. He's talking about a unity in which we are loved, in which we are not all alike, but we are all loved alike. Did you hear that? It's a unity in which we are not all alike, but we're all loved alike. And I want to tell you something. When I left Pastor Yang's office that morning, I knew that I was loved. And I knew that I was in a great place. And I walked down the hallway into a Sunday school classroom that I taught Sunday school in many, many years. And I'm standing in this room and I'm teaching these students. And it was one of the most exciting and most fantastic and most spectacular days of my entire teaching career. Because I am standing in here teaching kids that cared about the catechism. They wanted to know what their church believed. And they wanted to make sure that their heads were on straight and that they could make the decision they were gonna make to follow Christ. And I'm sitting here talking to them and I go, um, I need to tell you something about this next point because this next point is something your church believes, but it is not what I believe. And what your church believes is this. And I started to explain it. And they said, but what do you believe? <laughs> Glad you asked. What I believe along these lines is this. And I started to explain what I believed and they were like, that is fascinating. And we had more fun hanging out around God's word that day. And it was a day that I learned what unity was all about. I learned what it was all about. And sometimes I've forgotten. 
And I need some reminders, just like the reminder we're gonna get from Jesus in John 17. But before we go there, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. I mean, I know you know Jesus. But do you think much about the fact that he came as a model and a pattern for our lives? Do you think much about the fact that he showed us the way to live, to love, to share, to care, and to give? Do you think about that very often? How much time have you spent thinking about the fact that Jesus was a man of prayer? And if Jesus, for heaven's sake, is a man of prayer, how much more so do we need to be people of prayer? You see, if we were to open our Bibles to Mark chapter one today, in Mark chapter one, verse 21, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he's in the synagogue and he starts to teach. And as he starts to teach, the man with an unclean spirit comes down the aisle. And I mean, crazy stuff happened. We know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, holy one of God, trying to gain authority over him. It speaks to him. And Jesus just goes, you're out of here, you're done. And he falls on the ground. And as he falls on the ground, everybody's like, um, did, did you see that authority? And they're really blown away by the way he teaches too because he doesn't teach like the other rabbis. He doesn't go say, well, Rabbi Hillel says. And because Rabbi Hillel says we should believe or Rabbi Shammai says, and because Rabbi Shammai says we should believe. He doesn't say because Moses said this, we should believe. Jesus just speaks. You know, in his first sermon that he preached in the gospel of Luke, remember what he did? He rolls open the scroll, gets to Isaiah chapter 61. He goes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's proclaimed me to, pre, you know, to, to proclaim good news, to the, you know, release to the campus and all these things. And he gets, and he sits down and he goes, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. And they're like, did he just say what I think he said? <laughs> and so Jesus just speaks and he speaks with an authority. He leaves the church that day, the synagogue that day. He goes 83 feet down the alley to Peter's house. And when he gets there, he finds out that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. That's why she wasn't in synagogue that day, okay? And she's got this fever, and they believe that fever is a supernatural thing that can definitely bring death. They're scared. They don't know what to do, but they do know they can tell Jesus about it. And so they tell him about it. He goes in. He takes her by the hand. He lifts her up. And guess what? She is saved from her illness. The fever is gone and she immediately begins to serve. And that Peter's mother teaches us, Peter's mother-in-law teaches us that, you know what, when we're saved, we're saved to serve. And she gets up and does it. Now I want to tell you something, when the third star appeared in the sky, guess what? All of a sudden, all the sick people, because see what had happened in synagogue that morning, news spread everywhere. And they went out and got all the sick and demon possessed and lame people they could find. And they brought them all to Peter's door. It says the whole town gathered at his door. And so when the Sabbath was over, all of them show up and Jesus starts healing and healing and healing and healing some more. We have no idea how late he was working, but he was working and loving people and caring for people and meeting them where they were. And he finally gets in the bed, get a little bit of rest and guess how his next day starts? He sleeps in, right? No. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went away to a solitary place where he prayed. That's what he did. Very early in the morning, between the hours of three and six in the morning, he gets up even no matter how busy his last day was. And he goes away to a solitary place, a desert place, a wilderness place, a lonely place. And he goes there to seek the father because he knew that he needed the guidance that the father could give him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes and takes this time. Now, it's not long before Simon and his companions show up. Notice they're not called disciples yet, but Simon and his companions show up. And when they show up, they're mad at Jesus. They've been on a manhunt. There's consternation in their voice. And they're like, everybody's looking for you, man. There's people that need to be healed. Remember all those people last? There are more people. And Jesus goes, let's go somewhere else. 
I'm going to preach in these towns of Galilee because that is why I have come. Jesus spent time with the Father, and because he spent time with the Father in prayer, he knew why he was here. Most of the time, I'm afraid, we don't have any idea why we're here. I told you, Jesus was a man of prayer. Luke 5.16 says, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Before he chose his disciples, he prayed all night. Before he walked on water, he prayed. Can I tell you something else? He was praying, um, he was praying, you know, before he would feed 5,000. He was praying before he would heal people. He was praying, praying, praying. And I hope you understand that we're about to enter a text in which he is praying. And it is an amazing text. See, John 14 through 17 is, is called his farewell discourse. And so he's saying all of these things that he wants to say, and then he's going to pray these things that he believes need to be prayed before he goes across the brook Kidron, before Judas comes in and brings people with him, and he is taken away to die for my sin and for your sin and for the sins of the world. Oh my goodness, these are important things that we need to hear. Very important things we need to hear. And if we were to start in verse one, we would find out that in John 17, verse, the first part of John 17, he prays for himself. And then we would find out in the second part of John 17, he prays for his disciples. You're not gonna believe who he prays for in verse 20. I'm sure you remember. But it should shock you and amaze you. And it should blow your mind that right before he's going to die on the cross, he's gonna pray for you and he's gonna pray for me. Look at this, John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only. So he says, not just for these disciples that you've given me. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. For those who will believe in me through their word. Now, I wanna just tell you something. If you read the gospel of John, you're gonna find out that, God, that John, um, in John chapter 20, verse 31, and what we consider the first conclusion of the gospel of John, uh, and you can ask me about that later, the first conclusion of the gospel of John, he said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but these things have been written that you might believe and that by, and that, and, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So can I tell you something? When we are the people who believe, we are the people who have been invited into not an intellectual exercise, but belief in John is this opportunity for us to be able to be invited into a trusting relationship with one who reveals the Father to us and loves us with this love that can't even begin to be understood in all of its beauty and all of its glory, and he calls us his friends. See, we get to believe. And you know why we believe? We believe because John went out and taught. We believe because Peter went out and taught. We believe because James went out and taught. And they taught these people and they taught these people and they taught these people and it's brought us all the way down to this point and they have loved us into being in this particular moment. How cool is that? So we get this opportunity to believe. Um, and as we are moving through this, it says that, I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. And then he says that they may all be one. That they may all be one. Look, this word one really matters. And we're gonna find out why it matters. He's gonna say this thing like 10 times, I think, in these few verses. He's just gonna keep saying that they may be one, even as we are one and so forth and so on. That we may be one. Because one really is the only number. One is not the loneliest number. One is the number that matters. One is the number that matters. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, did you hear that? Now, in this, there's this Greek word hina, which we get the so that's from, and then there's this Greek word kathos, okay? And what's really cool is there's a couple of times in these verses that he goes, hina, kathos, hina, 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 kathos, hina, hina, all right? And he's really driving this point home. And so the hina is the so that, but let me tell you something, there's a purpose in the kathos clause because what he is saying when he says kathos is he is saying that uh, when just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that's to be our model, that's to be our our pattern, that's to be our source, and that's to be our reason for being number one. Because guess what? The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. Now, we're going to find out, right? Because we've already found out some, that the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in us, and that we are in the Son, and that we are in the Father. You see, <laughs> I, I, do, I mean, it gets, it gets confusing. I told people, I don't even know if I can preach that text. I don't even know if I can figure out what, I, you, know, all the di, you know, all the diagrams. Matter of fact, one commentary had a diagram, and I was like, I'm gonna take a picture of that because <laughs> it helps. So he's saying, Father, our oneness is the oneness that is going to allow them to be able to be who they are called to be. You see, unity in the gospel of John makes God known. And look what he says. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh, the world. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Now we're gonna open a can of worms. John, 79 times in this gospel, talks about the world, okay? Now, you all remember one of the first times, right? Because you're gonna help me. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now think about these next verses because I don't always think about these next verses. Next verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then he says, he that believes is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already. This is the judgment that light has entered the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So I want you to know something. When John is mentioning world over and over and over again in his gospel, most of the time he is mentioning it from a negative standpoint. That world is in opposition to that which Jesus is doing and which the Father has planned and that Jesus' mission is, is living out, okay? So this world is a problem over and over again. But do you see what's already happening in this particular text? Jesus is praying for us that we would be one and that our oneness, our unity would be a light and an example and a witness to the world so that the world might believe that God sent Jesus. And here's what that means. If we're gonna believe that God sent Jesus, then we're gonna believe that Jesus has revealed to us the Father as he is. Matter of fact, Philip says, show us the Father. <laughs> You've been with me this long and you don't know? <laughs> And so here he is, he has revealed to us the Father, and if they're going to believe that, that, that Jesus was sent by God, they're not only going to believe that he has revealed to us the Father, but they're also going to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father, okay? And guess what? Those references, guess where they are? In John 14, and guess what John 14 is? The farewell discourse. <laughs> Can I tell you something? 14, 15, 16, and 17, and you were there watching that happen on the night before he died? Oh my goodness. 
I'm so glad that we get to sit there and to listen to these things that Jesus had to say and that Jesus had to pray and that Jesus wanted us to know. But that's not where it stops. It says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. There it is again, okay? I have given them the glory that you've given to me, all right? So let me tell you something. We gotta go all the way back to John chapter one. And by the way, I really want you to understand this. I wish we had time to go into a lot of things because Matthew wrote for a reason, Mark wrote for a reason, Luke wrote for a reason, John wrote for a reason. And I'm gonna tell you something. You start finding these things. John, John starts and he goes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, okay? And he's writing to Jews and to Greeks. And when he writes to Greeks, they hear that as in the beginning was the logos because that's the Greek word. In the beginning was the logos and, um, and the logos was with God. And the Greeks are like, oh yeah, 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 no problem. We got that, we believe. We believe there is a transcendent, uh, there is a transcendent something that holds everything together and we call it logos, that makes sense. And the Jewish people would be listening. They're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we believe there is a logos. We believe there's a word because there is an eternal word that has been spoken and, and we actually have it written down for us now in Torah. And Torah is this wisdom that teaches us the truth. And we believe that it was preexistent before creation too. Yeah, 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 we're good with that. Both of those people, the Jews and the Greeks would have listened in the beginning was the word. And they're like, all right, we're good. But then they got really ticked with the next verse because he said he was in the beginning with God and they're both like, no, 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 no. It's not a he. And he's like, oh yes, it is a he. <laughs> in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. There was nothing made without him that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, cannot even comprehend it. <laughs> he dropped down a few more verses. He says, and the word became flesh, the logos became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus says in this particular text, taking us all the way back to this verse, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. What is this glory? <laughs> this glory, let me tell you what it is. It is a revelation of the divine character of God in its beauty and in its, in, its, in its perfect character. I mean, it is a revelation and a manifestation even of his divine presence. Oh my goodness, that's what this glory is. It's a visible manifestation of God's presence. It's also God's honor. It's also God's reputation. And it's, it's laid out for them. He says, the glory you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Now, I didn't go here in the first service. And I'm gonna tell you something. I, I'm, I wish I would have. And I started to cry a little bit a minute ago when I read this. John 15 also happens to be part of John 14 through 17, right? And it happens to be the farewell discourse. And in John 15, Jesus says, you need to abide in me. And he says, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. And then down a couple more verses later, he says, the father is glorified when you produce much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So I hope you're understanding something here. Unity, I think we could probably just say that this unity, again, it's not organizational. 
It's not us coming together and thinking alike, but it's learning that we are loved alike, realizing that we are caught up. You see, the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in us, and we are in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and as we're caught up into this, we are caught up into this self-giving love that just continues to to cycle and come around. It is this self-giving love. It is this cohesive love that should bind us together, even if we disagree with one another, even if we would teach the catechism differently. It is that thing that is an example to the world because he says that they may be one so that the world will know and believe that you have sent me. And he's going to say it again with something different here in just a second. You see the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. If we are abiding in his love, we are producing much fruit. We are glorifying the father. He says, I and them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Oh my goodness, this is not just something that just happens either. This is this process. I'm gonna tell you something. There's a verse in, that Paul writes that I love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let me tell you something. I wanna be more one with you today than I was yesterday. And I hope and pray that when I'm finished here, we'll be more one together. And I hope that we'll keep becoming more one. And I hope that the world will realize that one really means one and then it's not the loneliest number. It's the number that makes all the difference. And we need to be moved into this process. And can I tell you something? If we are in this process and if we are abiding in his love, we are gonna continue to learn. We're gonna continue to grow. We're gonna continue to develop. And God is gonna continue to teach us and he's gonna continue to make us more perfectly one. You know why? So that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. Here's the idea. You see, there it is. What happens is we're invited up into this love of the Father and the love of the Father continues to transform us. And as the love of the Father continues to to transform us, we look more and more like Jesus. We look more and more like the Father. And we are able to show the world that even though we have differences, even though we look different, we smell different, even though we make different choices, we are a people who are ontologically one because we know that it matters that we are one in the Spirit. And we are one in the Lord. And we are loved even as Jesus has been loved. Now look at verse 24, it says, Father, I desire, I will that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Guess what? We're all the way back to John 1 again. (laughs) Can I tell you something? When you read these gospels, I sure hope that you read them as as books and you start to put together why, why John or why Mark would have said this. And then later he says this. And then later he says this. It's so important. And so John is putting all of these pieces together and Jesus is putting them together for us because these are the things that we need to remember that he has taught us. And by the way, in the gospel of John, there is no prayer in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. But there is this prayer. And in this prayer, he says, it is my will, Father, that you will allow those that you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. They had already seen his glory. They had watched it in all those signs. Remember, I told you earlier that there were all kinds of other signs that Jesus did in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the disciples. But guess what? They're not written down. The second conclusion tells us if we tried to write down everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold it. 
And what he's saying here is, God, I just want them to be able to see what it's like when, I'm in, when their eyes are completely open because now they can only see in part, but then they will see in full and they will know even as they are fully known, they will be able to see the glory that we have. They will be able to see the relationship that we have. They'll be able to realize why we have loved the world, why we have wished that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. They will begin to realize what agape love really is, this self-giving love that always seeks the best interest of the other. It's not about getting what I want, and it's not about you getting what you're wanting. It's about us wanting what the Father wants, and when we want what the Father wants, he gives it to us, and let me tell you something. The world will be changed. The world will be changed. Brendan Manning said years ago that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what a... This is, what, a, what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. I do not want to be the reason that one more person says no to Jesus. I do not want to be the reason that one more person is unable to realize how much they are loved and that that love has been there for them since before the foundation of the world, that God created this world in order to love them into being and to be with them and to watch over them and to provide for them and to care for them. I don't wanna be the reason that people don't understand and the reason that people don't see and the reason that people don't make the right decision. People go, yeah, but nobody, nobody has anything good to say about us Christians anymore. They're always ripping us up one side and down the other. Well, maybe there's a good reason for the fact that they're ripping us up one side and down the other. Maybe it's because we haven't taken this thing seriously. Maybe it's because we don't really understand what it means to be one. Maybe it's because one is the loneliest number. And we always feel like the world is against us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but you don't have to fear it because guess what? I have overcome the world. Do we believe that or not? Verse 25, he says, oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. Man, he calls him righteous father. Again, earlier he's called him father. Then he calls him holy father. Now he calls him righteous father because God is righteous. He will do what is right for those who are in him as well as for those who are not in him. We can trust this righteous father. Jesus has revealed his character to us. He has shown us who he is. He has shown us his glory. We see his beauty and his character. A righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. In other words, these disciples of his were the people who believed that he revealed the father, right? And not only did he reveal the father to them, but he also helped them to understand what it meant that he was the only way. Verse 26 says, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. I made known to them your name. Can I tell you something? When it says he made known to him his name, I called a friend of mine this morning. I said, I said what, what does it mean he made known to him his name? He goes, I, you know, I've never thought about this, but I thought today maybe it's Exodus chapter three. Because in Exodus chapter three, there's a burning bush and Moses turns aside to see this strange sight. And then God goes, Moses, Moses. And he comes over there and he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I want you to go and rescue my people from, from Egypt. And he's like going, um, okay, uh, maybe not. I've got some questions about that. I, wanna, I got a couple of excuses I want to give you. And he's like going, one of those excuses, he says to him, he says, what if they ask me what your name is? What am I going to tell them? What if God of our fathers and all that stuff doesn't work for him? He says, then you tell them I am who I am, Yahweh. And guess what? 
when my friend said that, I started to cry this morning because I was like, yeah. You know one of the big things in John? You see, you got the book of signs, the first uh, uh, you know, 11 chapters or so. The rest of the book is the book of glory. Then you've also got all of these I am statements. And Jesus continues to reveal the name of God through those I am statements because he's saying, I am the bread of life. I am uh, the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has revealed the name, and as he reveals that name, he is giving them contact. He is opening up the door for intimacy. He's not just giving information, but he's offering intimacy with the Father. He has made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. People say, oh, Jesus doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit in this prayer. Well, let me tell you something. This is probably the reference to the Holy Spirit in this prayer, and if you don't believe me, you can go back to chapters 14, 15, and 16, and all of the times that Jesus talks about the paraclete. You see, if you really want to know who the Holy Spirit is, he's the paraclete. He's a companion. He will lead us and guide us into all truth. And if we really want to be people who are unified, guess what? We are people, if we go back in John, who are born from above. We are people who are his sheep, who hear his voice. We are the people who, um, yeah, and you just start going through this. And you start looking at what it means. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I've already told you that wonderful verse from John 15, right? A wonderful verse when he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jerome tells the story of John. The apostle John in his old age would go to church and people would have to carry him into the building. You guys know what that looks like. Carry him into the building. They bring him into the building and he would sit there and he would say, little children, we must love one another. And somebody asked him one time, why, John, why do you always say, little children, we must love one another? John responded, because that is what our Lord taught us. And if that is all we do, then that is enough. It's time for us to abide in the love of the Father that's given to us through the Son. It's time for us to be unified. It's time for us to experience unity. It's time for us to know that one is not the loneliest number. And it's time for the world to know who Jesus is. And I hope and pray it will be because of our witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I ask that you would be with us, that you would continue to watch over us, to guide us. And Father, I pray that you would make us more like Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.